eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease and a whole lot of love, you transform 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... The charcoal mess. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? Uh Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. (laughs) No, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Hello, and welcome to another episode of I Weigh with Jamila Jamil, a podcast that has no interest in you feeling shame ever again. I hope you're well. I'm all right. I'm just a bit annoyed with how long we've been talking about Will Smith and Chris Rock now. Like, I get it, it was a serious incident, it needed to be discussed, but it's been it's day six, and there are still articles coming out about different random celebrities who aren't involved and how they feel and how it's making them feel about their own lives. I just, we have to stop obsessing about this. I've never seen a celebrity incident create this much discourse for this many days. And it's, I don't know, it's not just grating on me because I want us to move on. It's grating on me because something so serious is happening. And I feel like all of our attention has been diverted for way too long onto this random subject about these three extremely privileged people that we can't do anything about their situation. We can do something about what is happening in Ukraine in that there are millions of people who have been displaced already. And this hasn't even been going on that long. And it is, it strikes me timing wise is a little bit suspicious that the media who are often the government's collaborators are allowing and perpetuating us to keep talking about this this event at the Oscars so that we'll stop being as politically engaged as a lot of us were becoming regarding Ukraine, what is happening with the displaced people, whether or not our governments are being as supportive as they can be towards those people. Also, we were starting to hear more and more reports of how there is a discrimination towards displaced people of colour. We're seeing that there is a double standard in the way that governments are talking about Ukrainian people who are displaced versus how they spoke about Muslims who are displaced. We were all so in the middle of it. We were all so involved. And now we're just fully out of it and not up to date on what is going on. Obviously, I'm not speaking for all of you, but I'm just saying the masses on social media. It's just, it's out of this world. So if you are someone who would like to get back to the topic at hand. Obviously, there are wars going on all over the world, but this is a relatively new emergency and it is an emergency. And through it all, I'm unbelievably lucky to have secured an interview with someone who is doing tremendous work with displaced people, including in Ukraine right now, or people from Ukraine rather, right now. Her name is Zalasht Halamzi, and she is One of the most exceptional and inspiring and just resilient people I have ever met or had on this podcast or had the privilege of talking to. She's an Afghan woman who's now living in the United Kingdom and she's a former child refugee. She has had such an outrageous life and was so young when her and her family were displaced and all split up. And she talks me through what that was like, what the emotional experience that many of us, thank God, will never be able to even fathom. She talks me through the emotional impact, how that goes on to harm you and impact you through your life and how it can make such a difference to these people's lives in the way that they are received by other people, by other countries, the opportunities that they are given because all of their opportunities have been stripped from them. Their houses have been stripped from them, their friendships, their lives, their realities, their country, their their culture, everything gone. And they're forced into being in a new place where they don't speak the language. She talks me through that whole journey in such a clear and frank and visceral way that I think is really important right now because empathy is 
all we've got. That is the only way that we are going to charge ourselves up for the huge task of getting our governments to stop going around and fucking around in other countries and then leaving those countries completely in tatters and then turning their backs on the people who are trying to flee a mess and our countries have been significantly complicit in. And so we also talk a lot about that. And we talk about the hopeful ways in which we could restore the dignities of displaced people and ways in which we can support them other than just with the important things like supplies and donations. Her work has actually a lot to do with the psychology of the experience of being displaced. She works a lot with children, in particular with her organisation that was previously called RTI, the Refugee Trauma Initiative. It has now been named AMNA. Just this week it has changed to AMNA, but they do all of the same things and they work with children and with families to try to help them come to terms with what's happened and help them find hope and help them process all of the trauma so that they can actually move on from what's happened eventually. And even, if, you know, because I think a lot of the time we don't recognise that even if someone does find a home, even if someone does find a job, the, the pain of what's happened to them, what they've seen, what they've gone through, what they've lost, stays with them sometimes forever. And so this is one of the most underfunded and underrepresented parts of refugee care. And it is extraordinary the amount of work she does. I mean, she's been named one of the 100 most influential women on the BBC. And I think she will be remembered as one of the most influential people of all time. It's a fascinating episode. It is a shocking episode and yet it is extremely hopeful especially as the person we are hearing from has directly been in this scenario herself and found her way to now become a beacon of hope and light for other people so I would love to hear what you think about this I would love for you to follow her work and at the end of this episode we instruct you as to how you would be able to do that I hope you enjoy it. I hope you share this episode with other people who need to know what's going on. And I hope that this teaches you as much as it taught me. Um, so lots of love and please enjoy the exceptional Zalash Halamzi. Zalasht, welcome to Iway. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me. No, thank you for being here, especially right. I mean, it's, I imagine your existence is kind of, I mean, it must feel like you're constantly in emergencies, but with everything that's going on right now, it is especially exceptional for me to be able to have your time. And so thank you so much for being here and giving me that. Thank you. Um, I, I mean, funny you should say that. I just landed from Poland and from, uh, in London. Um, I was there last week just looking, assessing what was going on on the border and seeing um, what was happening to refugees coming from Ukraine uh, because the organization that I set up and run, AMNA, is, will be providing psychological first aid to people affected um, in Ukraine. So it was, it is a, 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 a very large crisis and millions of people have been displaced and um, it's very, very difficult to witness that much suffering. Yeah, I can, I mean, it's something I want to get into at some point with you is the impact on your own mental health of everything that you and your colleagues are seeing out there. And there's a kind of natural instinct to put that aside because other people are suffering more right in front of you. But I imagine at some point it takes its toll. Um, would you just kindly uh, tell my audience about why you do this work and what your own experience is? I was born in Afghanistan, which mm -hmm. in a way should tell you everything you need to know about why I do the work, because the the, the the country has been embroiled in a war that's been going on for 42 years. So my mother got pregnant with me. I'm the eldest of five children. Um, a few years after the war had already begun in Afghanistan. And so, you know, in, in one way, my family was this very ordinary Afghan family. 
that had very ordinary aspirations. We were, you know, my mom was a teacher. We had a, we lived with my grandmother. We grow roses. Um, That's all very ordinary and normal, but that experience was happening in the context of a war, um, a global war uh, that was, um, you know, the U.S. and USSR clashing in Afghanistan. And so my whole childhood and I think, you know, my whole life has been determined by that particular event. And what's really sad is that it continues. So the war in Afghanistan has been going on. And, you know, last August, the country went back to the Taliban. So the reason I do the walk is because having experienced what it is to see your home be destroyed, you're losing the people that you love the most, um, losing your language, your culture. Um, I know exactly how that impacts someone's psyche, um, you know, your internal safety sense of safety and the relationship with the world. And so the work that we do is all about addressing that. It's all about, you know, addressing the suffering, the emotional and psychological suffering that comes uh, as a result of war. And the other reason I do this work is that not that many people do it. Um, It's, you know, it's a trauma from war and refugees that you know, go through those kind of experiences, that trauma is very much overlooked. Uh, and not many organizations provide any kind of support to refugees who have seen, you know, horrific things. No, I mean, we see quite the opposite, especially coming from leaders in various countries that absolutely have the means to help. Um, you're saying you know exactly what it feels like to be displaced and to see your home destroyed. And a lot of people listening to this podcast maybe haven't had that experience. They may never have that experience if they're incredibly lucky, although you never know when it can come to your doorstep. And therefore, for for every reason, because of our own dedication to human beings, I think it's really important for us to be able to empathise. I certainly can't empathise. And I would, if you don't mind... Could you tell us what that experience is like, what that does feel like? I, I was 11 when we left Kabul, and then, I, um, and then I was 15 when we got to the UK. Um, it's, it's, it's a really difficult thing to explain. I think that's one of the, the reasons it's so misunderstood. But I would invite uh, the listeners to think about, you know, one, you know, something that's hap- that happened to them that made them feel totally dislocated. You know, we've all lost, we, you know, people that we've, we love like grandparents or, and that feeling of grief and dislocation um, that people can experience when something like that happens can, you know, it, it, it can really jolt everything out of place. Now imagine that happening in the con in a context when none of the things that you relied on when you're going through grief, when you lost your livelihood, when you know any of the kind of things that happen happen to people. You know, a lo- we just went through a pandemic. A lot of people experience loss and grief. Imagine that happened without any kind of protection. So you couldn't pick up the phone and call a friend and ask them for help because your friends are maybe dead or maybe you can't go to them or they can't come to you. Imagine you have no way of kind of supporting yourself or your family. Um, your home's not there whilst you're, you know, dealing with this huge thing in your life. Um, and, you know, you can't even speak the language to kind of go and ask for help. So that loss happens without any of the things that make us feel safe. Um, it's everything, everything gets disrupted. And it, what it does to people, it really fundamentally disrupts our sense of, of you know, of feeling safe. So you, because you're under threat and there's this existential threat that's going on in your community or in your country, or even when you're making the journey to come to safety, there is a threat to your life and your well-being. So you, you know, and that, that, can, that continues. Um, when you arrive in, in Europe or in a country of safety, you continue to feel in the tr- thread. So it's a really, really difficult thing to deal with. 
because not only are you having to deal with something with a huge challenge, but you don't have anything to help support you doing that. Yeah. And also um, for you, by the time you'd left, I mean, you'd already endured, I think you were, do you say you were seven when the war really started to kind of take hold of your country and that, that family events suddenly turned into attending family funerals and so it's everything you go through before the point that you realize this is no longer a safe or tenable living situation it's just unimaginable trauma to accumulate at such like a such a young age and i must follow you around i imagine for a long time i think it yeah i think it follows war follows people around um for sure. It's something, you know, I see that in the people that we work with. I see that in my own community. Um, but there is a way to, you know, to help people. There is a way to help people feel safe again, to help people feel worthy again, to to take care of people, to acknowledge that they've suffered. And, and that can go a long way in, you know, in helping people heal. Um, and, you know, I've been fortunate enough to have had opportunities in my life where I can, you know, access the pool, where I've been able to have a community, you know, to create and build a community in the UK and then all over the world. And, and that can help you heal. The problem at the moment is that when refugees experience those things, they arrive to, you know, to, to even more suffering, to even more hostility. Um, and that can compound their trauma even more. Yeah, because you don't feel welcome in the place that you've come to that you didn't really want to come to. You were happy in your home. This disgusting rhetoric that exists, especially in the United Kingdom. I mean, it exists all over the world, but I really feel like a particular level of mortification at our government and the way that they have spoken about refugees my entire life. But I think... Calais was a real turning point in the in the same old rhetoric they've used for every single marginalised people in history. It's always demonising them. They're coming for our jobs. They're coming to take from us. They're going to harm our women, our children. The same exact script, just a different cast. And so to see the kind of vitriol and fear-mongering that gets whipped up so that other people won't do the exact thing that you are suggesting, which is just make people feel safe, make them feel welcome, make them feel hopeful and afford them some basic fucking dignity. Yeah. It, it, terrifi- <laughs> it, ter- it terrifies me as such a, you know, quote-unquote developed country, how we continue to treat these people. And then the fucking turnaround of the sentiment at the beginning of the pandemic where it was the vast majority of people who were the frontline workers who weren't born in the United Kingdom. So many of them were people who had moved over to the United Kingdom and they were the ones stepping up and keeping the entire country running. And all of a sudden there was this like brief love of immigrants and championing of immigrants and you had like far right wing people even saying like these people are heroes and so quickly that's gone away again. The, the rhetoric itself is really traumatic and makes people feel unsafe. Um, so, you know, you, you, I, we run youth groups in Greece and, and many of our groups, young people talk about how they were presented in the media and the kind of, exactly the kind of things that you're talking about, the dehumanization, that, you know, the, this um, horrible kind of demonization of anyone who's black and brown and and is seeking safety it really impacts people uh and their psyche and their sense of self-love so there's another added trauma on top of what they've been through and it also prevents people from feeling like they belong in a community and that prevents integration that prevents healing so it's, you know, it's another form of violence on top of what they've experienced um, in their country. It's also just so much shame to be poured over such young people to feel as though they've, to be made to feel as though they've done something wrong. Like somehow this is their fault for being here. I think what I want to make sure I'm not doing And, you know, I learned a lot of this from Josie Norton, who's a a friend of both of ours and someone that you work with um, as well, is that I don't want to try to 
paint this as as an undignified sob story there are there is massive hope and and amazing things to be achieved and so much good for every community from having all these added people who can bring diversity and uh, i don't know their own innovation i mean look at what you're now doing with your life you're saving the lives of other people you have utilized the i don't know the position of being welcomed into the united kingdom and and use that for so much good there's so much potential here but also i feel like in order to counteract this terrifying narrative that we're seeing in the west we need to talk about the emotional impact of of what it's like to be displaced what it's like to then feel unwelcomed and and we need to understand what exactly it is that these people need from those of us who have the power, aside from the obvious things like supplies and and um, rooms to stay and and donations, etc., and like and legal support. What are the thing, the key things outside of those that you think that you know refugees need, displaced people need? For me, the, you know, the first thing that we need to do is is understand why people are fleeing in such large numbers from where they come from. That's the first bet. Uh, and I know mm-hmm. that's, you know, doesn't answer a question in terms of what, do, you know, what do we give? But it's, there is a reason why millions of people are leaving their home. And it's usually to do with the fact that, that you know, in this world, we really love war. Um, and we keep perpetuating war. And there's a whole industry behind, you know, making sure that wars carry on. Um, so the, the people that I've been working with in the past six years have mostly been displaced by war on terror, uh, which displaced 38 million people worldwide. And, you know, and, and, and that's, that those were wars that were kind of declared um, it, you know, in places like the UK and the US, and they completely destabilized the Middle East. They, you know, the, the just war at the time, which was Afghanistan, where people went in on the premise of helping women and women's rights and rebuilding country, have, you know, came to a complete um, kind of an almost ironic end when the U.S. handed over the country to the Taliban and made them have, you know, they've made them their counterterrorism partner in the region. So that's the first thing is to, to kind of try and kind of get to, to the bottom of why people are fleeing and prevent wars that causes so much suffering. And then, you know, the, now that, you know, for a lot of the people that that's already happened, we need to be able to, offer some safety you know you talked about supplies and all of that and of course there's like a ton of civil society organizations that make sure that refugees have you know access to food and they can get a tent and all of that stuff and that's amazing and we need to be doing that but beyond that we need to make sure that people have legal protection that they that they can actually claim asylum right now the uk government has essentially criminalized the capacity the ability to seek asylum and get to safety that's the that's catastrophic for refugees it means that if you're you know fleeing a war and you come to the uk you're essentially either left to drown in the channel or you could be prosecuted for it. Um, And then, you know, beyond that, I think we need to, when I, you know, we need to kind of make sure that people who deal with refugees, teachers, doctors, you know, anyone on the front lines have the understanding and the skills to be able to deal with everything that they bring, you know, from the traumatic reactions that they have to all the kind of, difficulties and challenges that they will bring right so when we first came to the uk everything was difficult you know going to the library and getting a library card was a big thing because we didn't know how it worked we couldn't speak english we didn't know you know we constantly worried that we were pissing someone off because you know you're standing too long at a counter or you know the the cashier at the supermarket we, we just constantly felt that everybody was irritated because we didn't know how things worked. Um, so all, you know, that kind of support, making sure that people giving the care. So right now people are, have offered to help 
many, many Ukrainians. I think something like 100,000 people have signed up to host Ukrainians. Um, and I really hope that there's, you know, the people that they have done, which is an incredible act of generosity, that they've reflected on exactly how complex the needs of those people are and how much care they will have to to give to make sure that they're okay. So it's, you know, it's a complicated solution. Like it's a complicated problem that needs quite a multifaceted solution. Sorry if that doesn't give you a sort of a sound bite. No, I think that, that I think it's really important because you're talking about, no, I'm, you know, I, because of the emergency we're in, I'm talking about the symptom and you're talking about the fucking cause. And, and also kind of bringing up the point of how our political engagement is something that we need to pay more attention to and who we are supporting and how vocal we are when a war is being planned and learning how to pay attention to what's happening and learning how to find news sources that aren't just dictated by those or you know who are protecting those who are doing things abroad that are destabilizing tens of millions of people um and it does it definitely reminds me that i have a responsibility there to be a part of nipping this in the bud um when we were on the phone we were talking about our mutual horror especially as two brown people as women of color um as to how different the rhetoric has been regarding Ukrainian people and how glad we are that they are being spoken about with so much more sympathy and and grace and, you know, everyone's shock and horror that these people are being displaced. But also, you cannot help but have in the back of your mind, fucking hang on, <laughs> just six months ago, we were demonising people in the exact same situation. They just look different. They're not pointedly blonde and blue-eyed they're not white and I would love for you to talk to me more about that because that must hit home on a much more personal level for you especially um I just I just came back from Poland where you know and 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 we I went there with my colleagues uh from Amna to to help to to make sure that the same thing that we've done for refugees in Greece and in Albania that were able to do that for Ukrainians and, and people coming out of Ukraine because that's the right thing to do. They're suffering and that's, um, and that's a mission. We want to help people affected by war. Um, what was remarkable is how different the response is in Poland um, for, you know, for the Ukrainian crisis. I've worked in um, Lesbos, I've worked in Northern Greece, um, I worked in Calais, and I have never seen um, anything like it um, in, in all the kind of different places that I've worked in. I worked in Turkey on the Syrian-Turkish border. It's a completely different response. You know, people are being treated with enormous amount of dignity. Um, there's all kinds of provision available for people when they come out of, you know, when they come out of Ukraine, right on the border, you have phone companies like Orange providing SIM cards. There is provision for pet food and pet toys, just anything that you wow. can possibly imagine. And people needing it's available um of course it doesn't you know the people are still suffering with all that provision but at least there is care to think about you know how people might be feeling if they're coming out with a dog you know is there food for the dog all of that's being considered and thought of and all over poland you have posters you know and and polish and ukrainian that says you know, you're welcome, you're in our hearts, we want to, we want to support you. So what's made me incredibly, you know, what's inspiring is that there is a, you know, that it is possible to have, to respond to the suffering of a people in a humane and compassionate way. And that private companies, the EU government, civil society can all come together and, and really support people so they don't have to experience any more unnecessary suffering than what they have. But what was extremely difficult for me and made me, honestly, I can't describe how it made me feel, is what, what's happening on the Belarusian-Polish border, which is another set of refugees that are mostly from 
Afghanistan, Syria, Iraq, Eritrea, some of these countries where refugees have been trapped for months and, and this sort of no man land between uh, Belarus and Poland, they're not able to go back to, to Belarus because the border, you know, the army won't let them and they, Poland is not allowing them to come in because the Polish government is very Islamophobic and so they don't want to allow these and these are families there's lots of children NGOs aren't allowed to go in journalists aren't allowed to go in and I spoke to an activist um, who has been trying to you know raise, raise awareness about what's going on to these refugees how badly they're being treated the fact that they don't even have access to food and she described a part of this place which they call the death triangle where the refugees are basically trapped between a swamp um barbed wire and kind of this sort of barbed wire area and then the railroad tracks and so they keep being pushed between one side to the other and in that process people die but because there's no um documentation because journalists are not allowed to go in activists are not allowed to go in and jews are not allowed to go in these people just disappear they just just disappear and that of course made me feel just total despair and hopelessness because what it shows is something that I know, but I don't really want to know, which is that if you're brown, and especially if you're brown and Muslim, in this context of being a refugee, your life doesn't matter at all. And there is nobody, not the EU, not the kind of different states around the EU, like Poland, Belarus, all of these, nobody will stand up and protect these people. Um, and they, like the Ukrainians, are coming from places where their lives are in danger. And they, you know, in, in addition to that, they're coming from places that have been destabilized as a result of wars perpetuated by, you know, NATO and the EU and UK and the US. So it's, it's something that we all bear responsibility for. And that's how they're being treated. And... It's, I mean, it's just unconscionable. It's extremely depressing to hear that that is happening in the same place, in the same area that two such dark realities exist. I can't, I cannot imagine what it's like. And there's nothing scarier to me than people not being allowed in. Like the, the, the horror is so unimaginable that, that they can't allow anyone in who would be able to report to the rest of the world what's happening. And that is just the kind of thing that that is a level of barbaric, inhumane behaviour that we would never associate with anything towards the West. That's the sort of thing that, you know, you, you hear about in the fucking Daily Mail happening in some faraway country full of brown or black people. And some of the worst atrocities I've heard of are not only perpetuated by these countries, but are going on within these countries and they're locking everyone out. I mean, look at what's happening at the border in the United States of America to people, you know, children being separated from their parents, all kinds of horrors happening and no one's allowed in. We have no idea the full extent. I mean, how bad must it be that no one is allowed in? This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now listen, we all carry around different stresses, big, small, medium size, and a lot of us keep them bottled up because sometimes we just have to. But doing that all of the time can really, really start to negatively impact your life. And I say that from experience. I'm British. We are told to never say how we're feeling about anything ever. And uh, that's why so many of us are so sad. Now, a way that I was able to remedy that was by having therapy, which was super helpful for me, not only because it's amazing to get things off your chest, but also all week you know as you're bottling things up because it's not always the time or place to say exactly how you feel you know you're going to get that hour where you're able to get everything off your chest and say it exactly as you want to and this therapist isn't going to take it personally and they're not going to hold it against you or throw it back in your face during an argument over dinner next week you just have this complete freedom honestly I think everyone should have therapy regardless of whether they think they need it because it's so amazing to have a confidant it's a journal 
that talks back to you and helps you with all of your problems. I think therapy is just a safe space to get everything off your chest to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, then maybe you should give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be super convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and then you can switch therapists if you don't like them anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash iWay today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iWay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease and a whole lot of love, you transform 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Start clean with Clorox. Because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... I got the charcoal mask. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? Uh, hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Oh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. And so this change of rhetoric where they are speaking with such shock that this is blonde and blue-eyed people who are facing this displacement and you know explaining to people that you know we must do everything we can to support ukrainians again i'm saying this with not a shred of bitterness just hope and inspiration for people who who don't who aren't white um can you just elaborate on that a little bit for people who aren't from the uk who maybe don't know how sharp that turn has been sure so the uk has been you know, both UK media and UK government has been incredibly hostile to refugees. And, you know, the, we've, there's been um, some of the so- solutions, you know, quote unquote solutions that have been proposed by this government uh, to the problem of immigration and refugees or things like a wave machine in the channel, for example, um, to, to topple the, the boats that attempt to cross or, um, you These know, are boats with, is, with people um, with disabilities, women, babies, pregnant people, all kinds of different people are exactly. in these boats that they're creating wave machines for. Yeah, so these are some of the things that have been discussed. You know, a, a lot of people put in detention centres when they do arrive, even though the Refugee Council, you know, did a study to show that, you know, they, they looked at the people that were coming on the boats and the vast majority of people who would qualify qualify for refugee status because they're coming from places where there is conflict. So there's a huge amount of hostility in the UK towards refugees. Um, And I I would say, you know, that extends to sort of all spheres of life. Um, And when the Ukrainian crisis happened, there has been an enormous amount of um, you know, outpouring of sympathy and generosity. The government has, you know, launched a website that where people could register to host Ukrainians. And I think in 24 hours or two days, something like 100,000 people had already registered. Um, you know, you, there's just symbol, you know, there was a rally, I think, this weekend um, in Trafalgar Square or for, for Ukrainians. And there's just a lot of, you know, a, a lot of expression of sympathy and empathy um, for the Ukrainians, which is exactly how we should behave when innocent people are under threat and when they're suffering um, because of violence of a dictator or tyrant. Like, that is what we should do. Um, but what I, I'm worried that, that this will not translate into sort of long-lasting sympathy for everyone who finds themselves in that situation. And I wonder, actually, you know, this is something that I've been thinking about a lot in the last few weeks. What can we do to sort of to, to, to 
galvanize this moment and create some sort of long-lasting change where people clearly are seeing how painful it is, you know, for a mother to run away, you know, from the, from her home with a small child, it doesn't matter whether that mother is white or brown, they will feel the same terror um, that anyone would feel and if they're in that situation. So something that I've been thinking a lot about is like, what can we do to, to retain this, to retain this level of compassion and, you know, within the communities that are showing that right now? I think for me, it is massively and unbearably in the hands of the media. Yeah, absolutely. Because it, it I mean, it is, you know, the media, the government play a massive role in how we, you know, how we rally behind certain things. Um, and so I completely agree with everything that you've said and showing, you know, first of all, just kind of telling the whole story and then showing the positive things. I mean, the UK, you know, where, where I grew up, there's enormous contribution in the UK from refugee and other immigrant communities. It wouldn't be the place that it is at the moment if it wasn't for that. Um, so, you know, there's so much to be grateful for um, from the, the whole NHS is run by people from, as you said, from, you know, other countries, you know, my, my, two of my cousins are doctors. Uh, my best friend is a doctor on the NHS and worked, you know, the whole time when, but she barely had a day off when COVID was happening. Um, so there, there's so much to highlight in terms of what's positive. And I, you know, just going back to trauma and how people, you know, what enables people to recover, there is, you know, if people do, if people get that sort of compassion care when they've been through something terrible and, and they're made to feel that they matter, like the way that Ukrainians are welcomed in Poland, the way that, you know, different countries are allowing them to come in, the way that their civil society is taking care of all the different needs that they might have, that will prevent long-term traumatic impact. Uh, It will prevent long-term physical impact on their health because, you know, trauma, the traumatic event is one thing, but it's the care and the attention and the support that you receive afterwards that determines your capacity for recovery. So you're doing something, not, not something, you know, you're doing something not just for the immediate alleviation of suffering, the immediate right thing to do, but also you're setting up people for, you know, to, or an, on a path where they can recover, they can regain their self, sense of confidence, where they can connect with their body, where they feel like their lives are worth something. And that's what we're seeing. Um, that's what I saw in Poland. Can you tell me about your work with Amna and just explain the organization, how you work, what you do and why? What we do is very simple. We, we set up safe spaces where people can come in and can convene as a community and heal as a community. You know, everything that we've been talking about in the podcast so far is disruptive to how people feel in their body, how, you know, their sense of safety is interrupted, um, their relationships are interrupted. And for really young children, this is you know, this can be really catastrophic because young children need stability and feeling safe to be able to develop healthily. And if that's not the case, if children grow up in environments where there's constant disruption and feeling, you know, unpredictability and uncertainty that can have a massive impact on everything from the way that they learn to their long-term health outcomes. You know, the, the, sort of the adverse childhood experiences have been linked to all kinds of chronic disease. So it can be, you know, that kind of stress and trauma has a really profound impact on, on children and families. So what we do is try and create spaces where they can have that, you know, where they can reconnect with that sense of safety. So we run programs for really young children. Um, we run a program called Beitna, which means our home in Arabic. And, and this is 
uh, a program where we use play as a form of healing for children. So children come in and it's, it's these beautiful, joyful spaces. They can play with their parents. They can play with their siblings. There's always a facilitator who's been trained in how to work with children that have experienced trauma available. And that just that space and that access to a place where they can be a child can really help children feel safe again. Um, and a fundamental part of what we do is, in, in this program is try and get parents de-stressed because the most, you know, the, the, the most effective way of protecting children is making sure that their parents aren't stressed because the, the relationship with the parent is the most protective thing. So we do a lot of work with mothers. We do a lot of, we try to do as much with fathers, although I have to say that fathers of, you know, their attendance is significantly less than our father's group than mothers. Um, but, you know, the, it's, it's a sort of a whole family approach to try and get families to have respite, to connect with each other, to play. Um, we run therapeutic groups for men and women, uh, these are long-term groups to really help people um, unpack some of what's happened to them and uh, process, you know, the, their experiences and connect with others who have faced similar things. Um, we work with young people and we do a lot of this work experientially. So we make films, we dance, we write and put on plays, we uh, take photographs, you know, there's just all of it is very joyful and creative um, to try and counter what, what they're feeling and what they're experiencing, which is a sense of worthlessness, you know, uh, this, you know, where they are, there's very little joy and very little respite. So all that we do is kind of countering what they're experiencing in their everyday life. I was so drawn to your organisation because of the fact that this is one of the areas that because there's so much of an emergency happening. And I mean, you really can't imagine the state of so many of these, especially any refugee camp that houses uh, people of colour, like the fact that there is COVID spreading everywhere because everyone is so close to each other. There's no PPE. There's not enough food. They have makeshift hospitals if they're even lucky. Um, it is a, a bleak environment in these camps where they're not being afforded any help from the government whatsoever and they're just made to feel like criminals essentially um and so a lot of people are thinking just of the the fundamental human basics which are of course imperative as well um like nappies or medical supplies or school supplies etc um I'd say one of the most, I mean, this entire podcast is about mental health. One of the most fundamental parts of someone else's like survival ability to be, you know, we've kind of touched on this already, but to, you know, their long-term emotional and physical strength can often be um, impacted massively by their mental health state. And so to have seen that, what was it that made you realize that this is what was missing? This is where you needed to focus. Well, my, you know, what I went through made me, that was the first thing, you know, just thinking back to, to how difficult it was for my family to go through the experience. And then I've worked in a few different crises. I worked, um, and I was in Turkey when the Syrian, during 2014, where, um, when the Syrian war was, you know, at, at its worst. And I, I worked in Calais, I worked in Greece and, there was just this this care for mental health and trauma was always missing. And I think it's a fundamental mm. part of emergency response because if you if people can't cope with what's happening to them, if they can't take care of their children, if they can't get out of, you know, get out of bed and try and kind of survive, that's catastrophic for a lot of families. And so, you know, in a way. The, what I, I see our role, for example, in a refugee camp where we've worked, um, as you know, I see our role as filling their cup enough so they can get up and take care of their children, or they can get up and face that seventh or eighth asylum interview where they're having to recount their traumatic experiences over and over again to justify being in the country. You know, it's people are so depleted and defeated. Um, 
that it's really difficult to survive. So health and creating uh, opportunities for people to connect, to remember that there's other side of humanity where there's hope, where, you know, you can meet people, you can make friends, you can have a dance, you know, you can express yourself in a way, you can create a piece of art with your child. All that feels little bit so they can get up the next day and cope with the horrible circumstances that they're dealing with um and i think it is a fundamental part of responding to crises and 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 making sure that people can get out of it and recover it means that you're investing in their future do you know what I mean? Rather than, and, and again, like I say this, like, there is nothing more vital than the immediate care that is desperately needed. There still isn't enough of that in any of these places. Um, we still need more supplies. We need more access to legal advice for these people. Um, but I'm just saying that a lot of those things deal with the immediate, whereas I think you being able to remind them that there is something to live for and you know these people kind of lose themselves in everything that they lose when you lose your home you lose your identity you lose your language you lose your friends you lose your loved ones maybe you lose your own children you know it's all of you gets kind of stripped from you and so to bring people back to the person they fundamentally are and remind them what fucking hero they are for even making it this far you are setting someone up for the for life after that camp and i think that's really beautiful I'm so glad you said that. They are fucking heroes. You know, the mothers that put their children on a boat and try and get them to safety, to try and give them a better life, to try and get them away from violence. That is enormous amounts of courage and strength. Um, and I, it really breaks my heart when that's vilified in the media, you know, as a, you know, right now, Greece is prosecuting a father, an Afghan father, whose son drowned um, on, the, on the shore of one of the islands because the government believes that it was the father's fault for the child drowning. But to me, like you said, that's just a father doing, taking a massive risk for sure, but from a place where, you know, there's so much violence trying to get his child to a safe place. That's, that's, takes a lot of strength and courage. That's only your last possible option. So if there are bombs dropping above your head or if your child might be kidnapped and forced into an army, what the fuck else are you going to do? And it's not like there's a boat that's there to fucking pick everyone up. There's no ferry that turns up being like, everyone, get in. Let's bring you to safety and dignity. It's the last possible option. I've seen so much of that rhetoric of, of you know, just ignorant um, Westerners saying... Why would why would you ever put your baby in a boat in these kind of in this in the winter storms? It's like that's exactly right. Ask yourself the question: Why would you ever do something like that? Why would you ever try and cross the desert through Mexico to get to the United States? Like why? Why would you do that? Think about that yourself. How desperate must you be? eBay Motors is here for the ride with some elbow grease and a whole lot of love. You transform 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean Every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. (laughs) Well. Ooh, yeah. That happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. I really, really appreciate what you do. And I imagine it must be incredibly um, enlightening and it must be very beautiful to be able to watch people develop in real time. Um, I also imagine it must be incredibly hard work that you do. 
And I wonder what you do for your own kind of self-care through all of this. My, my, my self-care is a sort of a work in progress. Um, I, I try to give myself, um, you know, the time and the space to recover from both sort of historically what I've been through, but also the work that I do. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's, it's a challenge because everything feels so urgent, you know, um, and there is so much going on and, and we're, you know, we're, we're a small organization trying to meet such a big need. Um, and so it's, it's really difficult, but the things that get me through is, um, I meditate quite a lot, um, to try and, you know, find peace and find a sense of presence and, 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 and stay in my body um, and, and appreciate my body because it does so much. Um, so meditation is a, is a very important part of my self-care. Um, I cook. I'm a really, really good cook. I love making spicy, spicy food. It's like, you know, just kind of throwing cardamom and cinnamon and chilies and everything that just, it's everything to me. Um, and you know, I, and I try to have a very expansive perspective because when you narrow into the cruelty that human beings are capable of and you expose that all the time, it can be very bleak and hopeless and, um, you know, really awful. But I really think of, I try to think about things in geological time. So you know, this is going to, this is not going to disappear in my lifetime. It's probably not going to disappear in my children's lifetime. It's something that will, you know, it's part of human condition and hopefully we will slowly get better at being more compassionate towards each other. Um, and, you know, sort of think about how that's part of the, you know, having this expansive perspective is I think about the universe a lot. It really gives me a lot of comfort that we're actually like a tiny, tiny part of it. And that really, we can't really impact the universe as a whole. It's so huge and vast and we don't know what the hell is going on up there. Um, that, you know, we think we're so big and huge and everything is about us, but it's actually not. And that actually gives me a lot of comfort. Um, <laughs> Because we can't fuck everything up. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Um, but God knows we'll try. God knows we will do our very level best. Um, I love the work you do. Thank you so much for giving me this time. Zalash, before you go to literally save the world, will you tell me what do you weigh? I weigh my capacity for joy. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's something that's taken so much to protect and it's, that's, that's what I weigh. That's lovely. Um, thank you for coming and talking to us and thank you for explaining a side of this that we are deliberately, um, starved of by the media because it, it runs the risk of, um, it may cause compassion warning may cause compassion uh and i really appreciate you i am so in awe of what you've done in taking your own incredibly difficult and traumatizing experience and trying to and just dedicating your life to making sure no one else does it's amazing work and and i think that the it feels extremely it feels like the future of where we all need to be looking you know, where it, it, into someone's humanity and someone's mental health state. Um, mental health is not only underfunded in when it comes to displaced people, it's underfunded worldwide. This is a, it's a huge, huge conversation that is still nowhere near far enough along. And the fact that you are bringing it to probably where it is needed most right now is breathtaking. And uh, I will support you and I will signal boost you and I will donate and do all the things that I can do. And I hope my followers uh, join me in, in any way that they can, even if that's just telling other people about this amazing organisation and, um, and how great you are. So thank you. And I hope you have a lovely restful night. Thank you so much, Jamila. It's been a great conversation. I 
just so lovely to talk to you. Thanks for inviting me and for highlighting mental health for refugees. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I Weigh with Jamila Jamil is produced and researched by myself, Jamila Jamil, Aaron Finnegan, and Kimmy Gregory. It is edited by Andrew Carson, and the beautiful music you are hearing now is made by my boyfriend, James Blake. If you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. It's a great way to show your support. We also have a bonus series exclusively on Stitcher Premium called Ask Jamila Anything. Check it out. You can get a free month of Stitcher Premium by going to stitcher.com forward slash premium and using the promo code iWay. Lastly, over at iWay, we would love to hear from you and share what you weigh at the end of this podcast. You can leave us a voicemail at 1-818-660-5543 or email us what you weigh at iWayPodcast at gmail.com. And now... We would love to pass the mic to one of our fabulous listeners. I weigh being an important and valuable member of my family. I weigh my time spent in a psych ward, then outpatient support groups. I weigh a lifelong and nonlinear path to healing. I weigh all the parts of me that do not serve me and that I have the freedom to subtract or unlearn. I love that I weigh all the best parts of me. And I want to weigh more with insight, patience, and forgiveness, and dirty jokes. I want to weigh more. Start clean with Clorox, because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Oh, the charcoal mask. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.